Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to be back uh, this morning, and uh, I wasn't here last Sunday, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at uh, one of our sister churches, and, uh, and so that was a, a great experience. Um, and uh, yeah, first of all, actually, you know, you look different. I'm wearing these glasses. These are not my normal glasses. Um, I've been having problems with my other glasses. They're all scratched up and everything. And so I, I, I took an old pair of glasses, and I put them on, and they're, they're kind of weak. Um, but I can see you all pretty well. Um, and uh, I don't know if I look different. I asked the kids when I, when I put on these glasses. They're about, these glasses must be like 10 or 12 years old. I said, uh, how do I look? And they're like, ooh, you look weird. You know, or like, you look goofy. Oh, your the glasses are so small, your head looks big. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I don't look smarter or, you know. And uh, so they're not the right people to ask. Um, but I was, uh, I was at the West L.A. Holiness Church uh, last, last Sunday, and I was privileged to be able to speak and give the message there. Um, and... Uh, it was, like I said, it was a good experience. It was the first time I'd ever been to that church, and, uh, and I didn't know anyone there. Uh, the pastor went on vacation. He asked me if I would speak, and so I went in there cold. Um, but, you know, while I was there, while I was at the church and just getting to know people, I felt a real, I think, connection, a real bond with uh, the church there. And I was thinking about this, trying to think about why, like what spurred that connection. And I was thinking, well, I don't think it's because uh, we're sister churches, because we're all in the same conference of churches together, although that helps. I know there's some people there now. I know that they know you, um, and, uh, and, they, and they say hello from West L.A. Holiness. But I don't think that was it. Uh, I don't think it was because a lot of people I met, especially those serving, they were short like me. <laughs> it was almost uncanny. <laughs> but I think that helped because we were able to see eye to eye. Um, and I don't think it was because uh, most of the people were Asian either, um, which makes sense, right? They're in our conference. They're short. They're Asian. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think it was any of those reasons. It was um, as we worshiped together, as we learned from the word together, as we shared Mother's Day, they had a Mother's Day luncheon, which I missed here, um, and we shared fellowship together. It's because we share the same faith. We worship the same Lord, and we serve the same God. And that, it just, it doesn't even need to be said. It just comes, it comes out. And it makes us like family. And as we continue on in this Ministry Matters series, right, we have the big banners outside. We're continuing on with uh, Ministry Matters and a focus on serving and the ministry. I hope you're beginning to see that serving in ministry, uh, one, it brings us together, but also serving in ministry, serving the Lord is universal. It's universal to the believer. It's not something that we are just commanded to do. But being a servant should be part of our identity. 
And this is something that we should all have in common with one another. Our heart to serve, to follow Jesus into ministry. Because uh, service is what the Lord wants for us. I think we'll see in today's passage, um, it is our nature. It is the nature uh, of the believer. As I start the message, I wanted to share, and I don't know if it's up here, I wanted to share uh, the mission statement, kind of revisit the mission statement with you. Mission statement, our mission statement really is, it's the backdrop. It's the reason for why ministry matters. So if, if we could, let's read this together, okay? Let's say the mission statement together. We exist to spread a passion for God so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. So this is why we exist. This is why we come together. Now, there are a lot of things that we do as a result of this, okay? But this is the heart of why we come together. We want to elevate God. We want to bring God glory. We want to spread a passion for him among those we know, among those we don't know. And one of the primary ways we do that, the ways we elevate God, is by serving others. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And let me read verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in, uh, I'm sorry, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, we want to honor and glorify you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. And as the worship song that we just sang, Lord, uh, would be the, the cry of our hearts, that there would be more of you, Lord, and less of me, less of us. And that your words, your thoughts, your heart, Lord, would come through to us and that we would put our, our, our focus on you and our attention to you and you would fill us and speak to us and minister to us wherever we're at. Thank you for um, this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, on his second missionary journey to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul, he helped start a church. He helped start a church in the city of Philippi. And uh, I have a map up here. It's a pretty simple map. 
This is a map of Paul's second journey. And uh, did I bring this? Okay. I'm going to use this, this laser pointer here. Um, so this is Paul's journey. Here's Jerusalem down here. And he went up here all through this direction. But here's the church. At, here's Philippi right up here at the top. And the church at Philippi uh, was in this, this whole area is Macedonia. This is Greece. This is Macedonia. So the Phil- church of Philippi is in Macedonia. It's part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire basically ruled this whole Mediterranean region. Okay, and so this is the church at Philippi. Just keep that in your, kind of in your mind's eye. Um, over here is Rome. This is Rome. And so while Paul was in Philippi, he grew close to them. He spent time with them. He built up the church. Um, he brought believers in to know the gospel and to understand and grow in the Lord Jesus. Um, and they grew close together. In fact, as we look at the book of Philippians, we'll see how affectionate uh, Paul thinks of the church at Philippi. Uh, the church at Philippi, so Paul continued his, his missionary journey. Later on in his ministry, after he returned to Jerusalem, Paul was arrested. He was arrested for preaching Jesus Christ. And this is later after the church has been established. Paul's in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, and he gets sent to Rome. Paul gets sent to Rome to be tried. So he's arrested in Jerusalem, sent to Rome to be tried. So this is the background. This is where we think Paul wrote the letter of Philippians. He's in, the, um, he's in a prison in Rome, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians. When he's in prison in Rome, the Philippians, they take an offering up. They take a collection, and they send him the money. So they give out of their own pockets, and they send him the money. And so while Paul is in Rome, in a jail cell, he writes this book of Philippians. And he writes this as a thank you letter to the church in Philippi. In chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So from the very beginning of the book, we can see Paul's affection for this church. They hold a special place in his heart. The church is like one of his children. Now, Paul wasn't married, didn't have kids, But this church was like one of his kids. He birthed it. He nurtured it. He prays for it. He wants what's best for them. And ultimately, he wants wants them to learn to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is verse 27 in chapter 1. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So when Paul opens chapter 2 here, we just read chapter 2, the first eight verses, when he opens verse 1 and he says, therefore, he's referring back to chapter 1, and he's saying, this is how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So in these next eight verses, he explains, he gives his heart, and he explains to the church in Philippi how to do that. Paul's call to the church, then, is to seek... Yeah, in the first eight verses, Paul gives this instruction, and his call to the church is to seek unity by putting others first. Selflessness is the key to live a life worthy of the gospel. I think we'll see from our text this morning, there is nothing more Christ-like than to live in selfless service to others. But if it's true that selflessness is the key to live a life worthy of the gospel, then I think the inverse is true as well which means you cannot live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of Christ, being focused on yourself. And Paul was well aware of this. He was well aware of, as Pastor Corey had mentioned, our tendency to be self-centered, to be self-focused. And he wanted the Philippians to, to strive for higher and better and so he gives them, them instruction. He gives them this instruction. And in these next eight verses, I would call I would uh, call what Paul gives as the motive, the marks, and the model for selfless living. Philippians two one says, "Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ." If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. What Paul is saying here is the motive, the motive for selfless living and putting others first, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our own good intentions. The motive for selfless living is that we have been united with Christ and we are recipients of his love. So I just want you to take that verse in a little bit. That the motive to do good, the motive to serve others, the motive for humility is that we have been united with Christ and we are recipients of his love. In this first verse, Paul uses the word if. He uses the word if four times. <clears throat> and he says, if they've been encouraged, been, have been united, being united with Christ, if they have received compassion and tenderness. He uses the word if, but the better translation is not if, it is since or because. The Greek translates better, since or because. The question to the Philippians is not in doubt. Paul is not asking them if they've been encouraged by being united with Christ. Paul knows them. He's close. They know him. He knows them. He's saying, since you have been united with Christ, since they've been comforted by his love and compassion. So this passage here, this instruction is directed for those of us that are believers. It's squarely for for Christians and believers. Not that selflessness 
isn't for the rest of the world and for others. We invite that. This instruction by Paul is for those who know Christ, those who have been encouraged by being united with him. Selflessness doesn't come naturally to us. It's often contrary to our human nature. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Then it goes on to say, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death because of my sin and selfishness? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So selflessness, it starts by being redeemed by Christ and knowing God's love and grace in your life. This is the motive. This is where it comes from. This is the heart of selflessness. In the next few verses, Paul exhorts the Philippians to be united together. He tells them to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. This, this is really the, the end goal. This is the reason he talks about unity. He would have the church at, Philippi, the church at Philippi to be united together, that the body of Christ be one, Paul knew that as a small church, like the Philippians were, in a hostile pagan society, like the Roman Empire was, that unity was crucial to their survival. And it's no different, uh, it's no different than today. It's no different for us. Unity is crucial to our survival. He could have been writing this letter to us to our church here in West Covina, in Southern California, in the 21st century. For we live in an unreceptive, unaffected, unbelieving society, don't we? For the church to be an effective witness to our world, for it to be relevant in the community, for it to show that Christ is alive among us, we must be unified. This is how the gospel is made real. It's how it's made manifest to those who don't know Christ, is when they see us in the church unified, united together, being one, despite our differences in opinion, our different viewpoints, beside, um, in spite of our, the diversity and the different places we come from, when we reflect that unity, we reflect Christ to the world. So Paul goes on then, in setting this up, he goes on to practice, he goes on to say, this is how you practice, this is how you keep unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. He's basically saying, humble yourselves and take the role of a servant. Take the role of a servant. I don't know if my daughter Avery's here. She would say, yeesh. 
take the role of a servant, this is exactly what we don't want to hear. See, we like being united with Christ. We like receiving his love and his compassion. And we like coming to worship him. But submission to others, servanthood, putting others first, that's, that's a hard call. I think this idea actually was as radical then as it is now. You see, the servant in any society throughout history, in any context, has always been one of the lowest positions. Lowest in power, lowest in respect, lowest in esteem. I think it's the type of position that we all, for ourselves and for our kids and for our families, we want to avoid at all costs. That's why you go to school. That's why you get an education. That's why you work your way up in a career. That's why you save your money. Oftentimes, we do all of this so that we don't have to be the ones who serve others. So that we don't have to answer to too many people. But Scripture is saying that this is precisely what we're to do at least in the church, we are to serve others. I think putting others or putting ourselves first has become so ingrained in our society today, we often can't tell that this is what we're doing. If the majority of our time and our money and our efforts are spent on our own interests, our own homes, our own jobs and careers, our own recreation, securing our own retirement, even if it's just focused on our own family, our own families, then I, I wonder, I wonder if we're truly serving others the way God would want us to. Because usually what happens, usually what happens then is after that, we have no time. We have no energy left for the broken. We have no time and energy left for the poor or for the lost or for the needy. If our lives look similar to the rest of society, then how is God at work amongst us? How can we be effect an effective witness to the world around us if we look just like it. Albert Schweitzer, uh, I don't know if, who knows who Albert Schweitzer is or have heard, have heard the name. Albert Schweitzer, um, he was a great physician. Um, I learned that he was a man of faith. He was a strong Christian. Uh, he was a great humanitarian. He was even a theologian. At one point in his life, Albert Schweitzer and his wife, they served thousands of patients in Africa. And he was known to travel hundreds of miles just to treat one patient. But he made this simple statement. He said, life becomes harder for us when we live for others. 
but at the same time, it becomes richer and happier. See, Albert Schweitzer and his wife, they knew the joys of servanthood. And part of the message here in the call to servanthood is a call to a richer life, to a more fulfilling life. Taking the role of a servant is a difficult command. But remember where Paul started in verse 1, that God wants us to be assured of his love, his tenderness, and his care for us. He wants our spiritual and emotional tanks to be full. And to be full, not so that we can just revel in the blessings, pat each other on the back, but so that we can stop focusing on ourselves and start serving others. The marks of selfless living, then, are unity and humility. Those are the marks of selfless living. Finally, our model for selfless living is Christ Jesus himself. Verse 5 begins, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul, he's really just shooting straight. He's really getting down to it. He's saying, approach your relationships as Jesus would. Your marriage, your friendships, your working relationships with your classmates, with your fellow church members. Approach it as Christ Jesus would. And we say, how do you do that? How, how are we supposed to do that? What difference does that make? And he, he gives a model for that as well in the following verses. First, submission. In verse 6, it says that Christ, being in very nature God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That means he practiced submission. He didn't use his position or authority, but yielded himself to the will of God. So for us, submission, in a sentence, I think it means giving up the right to have it the way you want it. It's relinquishing that right. Next, servanthood. Verse 7 Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So I think it's interesting, the parallel wording here in verse 6 and verse 7. It says in verse 6, being in very nature God. And then in verse 7, he took the very nature of a servant. To be godly is to be a servant. In his divinity, Jesus emptied himself and became a man in order to carry out the Father's will and to live with us, for us, and go to the cross. He was our model for servant leadership. And servanthood should be part of our nature. Submission, servanthood, and lastly, sacrifice. Sacrifice and even suffering. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Where would we be? Where would we be if Jesus was not willing to lower himself to take on our humanity and our flesh and in obedience sacrifice and suffer to reconcile us to God? As our model then, submitting and serving involves sacrifice. When we take the role of a servant, I think we know that we will have to sacrifice. It takes commitment. It takes resolve. Putting the interests of others first cannot be done out of inconvenience. Love is not given out of convenience. Gypsy Smith, I think I have this name right, Gypsy Smith, who was a British evangelist in the early 1900s, he tells this story. A woman who was interested in Christian work in London wrote me once and said, I have a meeting I want you to come to speak at. It is only a small meeting and will take nothing out of you. And then Gypsy says, I answered, I cannot come, and it would be no use if I did come. If it takes nothing out of me, and it will do nobody any good. If it takes nothing out of me, it will do nobody any good. It is service that costs, and a cheap religion is not worth preaching. So the call to submission, to servanthood, to sacrifice, is it's a high call. It is a costly call. Christ Jesus is our model for this. He showed us what it means to do this, and we receive it. We are recipients of his love and his sacrifice. But then we are to go and do likewise. You know, I am thankful. I'm thankful for our church. Uh, Our church is special in so many ways, but I think we are blessed to have many people with the servant's heart. And so even as I say these words, I hope it's just more of an encouragement to you um, to serve, to follow the Lord in service. Uh, But we have many of you who serve week in and week out, month in and month out. We have those that pray, that gather to pray for you and for the church, those that teach, those that spend time with the children, nurturing the children, those that prepare food, clean up, lead worship, those that give rides, those that miss service because they're securing the church, those that give of themselves and give of their resources. And in ministry matters, we want to encourage you. We want to encourage that. And we want to offer organized ways for more of us to serve to be more organized in ministry and offer those on-ramps and opportunities to serve the Lord and to experience his blessing. Maybe I should, I want to mention this too, though, that um, I know that a barrier to serve for some of you, it's not pride. It's not selfishness or self-centeredness. That there are those of you that are compassionate and have humility, and are unselfish. 
but maybe you feel like you're not qualified to serve. You feel like you're not good enough or you wouldn't know what to do. And I just want to take a moment to dispel, dispel that thought and to affirm that God created you in his image. He created you as his workmanship, his masterpiece. And he created you to do good works. This is what it says in Ephesians 2.10. And the body of Christ, and we read about the body, how it works together in 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 4, that the body of Christ needs each member to play its role. One last quote here, and this is from Albert Schweitzer again, who's fast becoming one of my heroes. And he says, I don't know what your destiny will be. And it makes me think, too, a little bit of our graduates. And he says, I don't know what your destiny will be, where the path will lead you. But one thing I know, the ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. So our model, our model for putting others first, for serving, is Christ Jesus. And at the Last Supper, you know, the Last Supper before Jesus was to be tried and crucified, before he was arrested, before he was forsaken, before he was tortured and crucified, in John 13, we read about our model. And he wraps a towel around his waist. He takes a bucket and he washes the feet of his disciples. So that at the very end of his ministry, after all that Christ has done, on the night before he was to go to the cross, our Lord and Savior, he got on his hands and knees to wash the disciples' feet. And right there, right in a word picture, he captured how important servanthood is to him and how important servanthood is in the kingdom of God. And then he ends this passage in John 13. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your your sacrifice for us, for how you've given yourself, given of yourself, Lord, to save us, to redeem us, to bring us out of darkness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We pray that you would stir in us, Lord, a heart to serve, a heart to follow you, to do what you do, and to put others first, to bless one another. We pray, Lord, that your glory would be shown and that you would be revealed to our community and to our world, and you would be strong in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.